On March 31st, the official WhatsApp account of the Brazilian government's press service shared a video produced anonymously. Se você tem a mesma idade que eu, pouco mais, pouco menos. It depicts a man talking about 1960s Brazil. He says it was a time of troubles when communists would arrest and kill people at will. Se você é jovem, já deve ter ouvido isso dos seus pais. And he says that the people begged for the military to intervene. If you're young, take a look at what the papers were saying, the man says. Consulte jornais, revistas, filmes da época. This is a nod to the overwhelming support of the press for the military coup d'etat. Most of these newspapers, however, came to regret their decision. While full of inaccuracies, the video actually says a lot about how Brazil deals, or doesn't deal, with the memory of its military dictatorship. For decades, political elites and the military have tried to sweep Brazil's recent past under the rug, a time in which kidnappings, torture and rape became state policy. Now Brazil's ultra-right wing is trying to rewrite history. There is even an attempt to change the story of the coup itself. The military recognizes March 31st as the date the armed forces took power. However, military troops seized Rio de Janeiro and ousted the president only on April 1st, April Fool's Day, which in Brazil is known as the Day of the Lie. It's like in Brazil the past is often as uncertain as the future. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Around the world, there's much discussion about the damage inflicted by Argentina's military dictatorship, thanks to the mothers of Plaza de Mayo, who silently protested the disappearance of their children, as many as 30,000 people simply disappeared. Some of those were young, pregnant women. An estimated 500 of their babies were then given to couples who were often deemed sympathetic to the regime. Or even about the horrors committed by Chile's Augusto Pinochet, turning football stadiums into prison camps. Around 11,000 people were arrested and taken to the national stadium, which had been converted into a prison and torture center. But the 21-year-long military dictatorship in Brazil doesn't get nearly as much attention. It is sometimes even described as a softer regime. And this is mainly the fault of Brazilians. We don't give the period nearly the amount of scrutiny it deserves. However, during the time when the generals called the shots, arbitrary arrests became an everyday affair. Enemies of the state were kidnapped, tortured, disappeared and killed. Confirmed deaths caused by the state are over 400, but the Inter-American Court for Human Rights believe the real number of deaths, many of which were unreported, is actually closer to a thousand, in addition to the 10,000 Brazilians forced into exile and more than 50,000 prisoners. It was on May 19th in 1976 and my husband and I, who had just been married for three or four months, uh, were taken in the middle of the night uh, by police. Karen Kleit is one of the victims of the dictatorship. Uh, we were kept for 45 days. They would ask us if we participated in 
you know, any political uh, meetings. And, you know, we always just, we always just told them, you know, no, we didn't. And we gave them names of all of our friends. And, you know, we just said anything that they wanted to hear, basically. But they were never satisfied. And uh, that's where they, you know, they would, they would hit us. And they would threaten to kill us. And they took my husband first separately into one room. And uh, they beat him and they tortured him. And, uh, and then they did the same with me. And then three days later, they separated us. I had lost a tremendous amount of blood. Um, one day I just woke up. I was in a cell with other women. And one day I woke up and I was you know, not really woke up. I was bleeding and I was most of the time unconscious through, you know, many of the last days that we were there. I couldn't even tell you exactly what happened. You know, that's something that stays with you for the rest of your life. Uh, it destroys families. It destroys lives. But the sordid phase of that period is precisely why some ultra-right groups, led by none other than President Jair Bolsonaro himself, have such high admiration for the military regime. That comes as a surprise only to those who were unaware of Bolsonaro before his ascent to the presidency. As a congressman, he maintained a ritual of celebrating the dictatorship on every anniversary of the coup. In 2016, when casting his vote for the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff, also a victim of state-sponsored torture, he paid homage to a man who oversaw 47 kidnappings and hundreds of disappearances. Pela memória do coronel Carlos Alberto Brilhante Ustra, o pavor de Dilma Rousseff. Como vota, deputado? Pelo exército de Caxias, Como pelas nossas forças armadas, por um Brasil acima de tudo e por Deus acima de todos, o meu voto é sim. During the dictatorship, the military governments would deny torture would deny the violation, would deny extrajudicial killings. Pedro Abramová is the director for Latin America at the Open Society Foundations. And Bolsonaro, along his political career, and now again as president, they, he doesn't deny, he celebrates those. He admitted there was extrajudicial execution, and then he says, that's not enough. You know, more people should have been killed. So no one from the highest political rankings in the, during the dictatorship would admit those things. They would hide, right? They would say, well, it didn't happen or we didn't know, right? So the, 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 the part of the, the dictatorship that would admit those things and celebrate them was a quite obscure part that was called the, the you know, hardliners or, or even worse, right? And Bolsonaro keeps celebrating that part. Since the military left power, many official documents have proven that the government did, in fact, know about the tortures and the killings, and that the generals were complicit with it. A once-classified 1974 cable between CIA directors showed that during the government of General Ernesto Geisel, not only did the military authorize the killings, but they were also keeping tabs on the body count. You can access this document on the Brazilian Report's website. In 2012, almost 30 years after Brazil became a democracy again, the Brazilian government created the Truth Commission 
set up to investigate crimes committed by the state and set the record straight. There are millions and millions of documents and files in the National Archive about this period. Glenda Mezaroba is a political scientist specialized in transitional justice. She worked as a consultant with the Brazilian Truth Commission. The Brazilian Truth Commission placed dictators like Geisel in the first level of responsibility for the, the crimes. Despite all that, of course it's shocking to realize how violence was considered something ordinary. And we cannot lose sight that the, the use of violence was a choice of the military forces. They don't need to do that. While the Truth Commission was interrogating culprits and giving a voice to victims, groups of activists were taking their own walk down memory lane. Inspired by Argentine groups, they paid visits to many of those who participated in the crimes of the state and sought to expose them. These acts were called esculachos, or public shamings. Foi um médico legista que ocultou, ajudou a ocultar e a desaparecer com os corpos dos nossos companheiros e companheiras mortos desaparecidos durante a ditadura militar. The commission issued its final report in December 2014. It identified almost 400 state agents who violated human rights. But the commission wasn't limited to looking at the past. The report included 29 recommendations to ensure reparation, memorials, and justice for the victims of the military dictatorship. Since the return of democracy, uh, the Brazilian state has slowly advanced in, in the reparation effort to the victims and their relatives, economically and symbolically. But it still lacks, for example, the creation of memory spaces like museums. The Brazilian state also needs to fulfill its obligation and criminally punish Uh, the ones responsible for the tortures and murders. And when we talk about the, the legacy of gross human rights violations uh, during the, the military dictatorship, the Brazilian impunity dramatically contrasts with what happens in countries as Argentina and Chile. Next, how Brazil deals with the legacy of the military dictatorship. Did you know that Brazil is the country with the second highest number of ransomware attacks in the world? That's when hackers try to steal your data and then ask for a ransom for their return. Perhaps the good people of FastHelp can help you avoid these unwelcome attacks. FastHelp is a Brasilia-based IT company that is focused on cybersecurity. Protect your business by teaming up with FastHelp. Go to fasthelp.com.br for more information on how to protect your company's virtual space. One of the major differences between how Brazil deals with the memory of the dictatorship, certainly compared to other Latin American countries, has to do with accountability. André Pagliarini is a visiting assisting professor at Brown University and holds a PhD in Brazilian history. In 1979, the Brazilian dictatorship uh, passed a, an amnesty act, which on one hand um, granted an amnesty to all political prisoners and allowed many um, exiled figures to come back to Brazil, but it also gave the military itself, the armed forces, those responsible for torturing, for example, um, amnesty as well. And so the country never really reckoned with um, holding 
state actors accountable for crimes against humanity. That's very different than, you know, the obvious examples of Chile and Argentina, where really high-ranking members of the dictatorships were not only put on trial, but arrested and, and given lengthy sentences. Um, sizable numbers of Brazilians still believe, and this is a question of, of memory, that 1964 represented a moment in which democracy was being besieged from the the left and the right. That is, the coup carried out by the armed forces was done so in order to forestall or prevent a, a, a coup from the left. That supposedly Goulart, at the time Jean Goulart, the president, was uh, either a communist or incompetent enough that he might be used by the communists. Um, either way, the military had to intervene to prevent Brazil from becoming another another Cuba. Um, so even if the vast majority of Brazilian society condemns what happened in 1964, and I think that's still true, most of the country sees that as a tr really tragic break with democracy, this sentiment has always been mitigated by the opinion um, that the intervention was necessary to some degree. Bolsonaro has made this view a central position of the Brazilian government since he became president. Um, Jair Bolsonaro has long argued that the military dictatorship did not go far enough in its repression, that it didn't do enough to crack down on dissidents. Um, and so I think he his presidency reflects a real shift in the way the dictatorship is remembered. Again, his position has always been somewhat of a fringe view. Um, but I think that's that's changing. Like everywhere in the world, many infrastructure works in Brazil are named after leaders of the past. And that includes many who were prominent during the military dictatorship. However, both sides are not celebrated the same way. Throughout Brazil, roughly 160 kilometers of streets, avenues and roads celebrate people that were victims of the dictatorship's crimes. Meanwhile, almost 3,000 kilometers are named after their executioners. On one hand, I think naming roads, bridges and other sort of infrastructure projects after dictators, on one hand, is a relatively apolitical act um, in Brazilian political culture. Um, I think it has to do with a sort of traditional deference to power and figures of authority, many of whom people don't even remember anymore. So there's, on one hand, I think there's something intensely apolitical, in other words, reflective, that people don't necessarily stop and think about who are these figures that we're naming this bridge after. On the other hand, of course, it's intensely political to nominate uh, you know, the, the, uh, the general presidents of the dictatorship uh, to put their names on bridges or on major infrastructure projects. It effectively makes these major projects monuments to a particular vision of the dictatorship as a modernizing force, that these generals in this regime um, oversaw these vast infrastructure projects, which they did. Uh, absolutely, the country grew at a tremendous rate, created all kinds of new infrastructure projects, but in sort of celebrating that or only focusing on that, uh, we lose sight of the costs of that political regime, uh, the flip side of that political project, which is intense repression, uh, disregard for minority rights, disregard for democracy. Um, and so this is all, I, I think, sort of wrapped up together in what Bolsonaro is trying to do. In trying to rehabilitate the dictatorship, he is, on one hand, celebrating this view of 
great achievements, of great strides in infrastructure, while also implicitly longing for, I think, the more authoritarian political culture of the dictatorship. President Bolsonaro has been able to bring this discourse in celebration of authoritarianism into the mainstream. His human rights minister has declared she will scrutinize all pensions given to victims of torture by the state, aiming at cutting them altogether. The foreign ministry denies it was a coup d'etat, and the president himself believes in the use of torture. How does this affect a democracy as fragile as Brazil's? For one thing, Bolsonaro's interest in portraying the 1964 coup as necessary and as a move to counteract a leftist coup undermines what was intended to be the official state narrative of the dictatorship produced by the Truth Commission in 2014. The right wing in Brazil, again exemplified now by Jair Bolsonaro, argued that this report was illegitimate, that the Truth Commission's efforts were not um, legitimate because they did not explore the supposed role of left wing terrorists, as they call them. In other words, they're equating the state actions with the role of individuals and guerrilla groups, arguing that it's not legitimate to investigate the role of the state unless they're going to investigate the role of these individual actors, neglecting, of course, that these individual actors have already been held accountable by the state. Right? Many of them were arrested, tortured, killed, and disappeared. Um, and the state never really came under such scrutiny. Bolsonaro, in doing this, in celebrating the coup, also muddies the water, I think, for many Brazilians who have been raised to take for granted, really, that a military coup is a bad thing, that a dictatorship is a bad thing. Generation now of Brazilians has been raised to know that, to think that democracy is a good thing, it's a universal good, that military dictatorships are bad. By celebrating what happened in 64, uh, Jair Bolsonaro is, I think, making that distinction between democracy and dictatorship somewhat less clear for Brazilians, especially the younger generation who didn't live through that period and who might think, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. You know, maybe they think the country is such a mess now that that period actually has a lot going for it, that the, maybe it's, it's worth looking back and interpreting it in a more favorable light. This, I think, has cascading effects. It's one thing to look at a period and sort of think historically, well, yes, growth rates were impressive, crime was relatively low, these kind of superficial metrics. But I think this is going to cascade increasingly into a broader acceptance of authoritarian political moves. It really should alarm anybody who is committed to democracy, who is committed to social progress, who is committed to the idea that dictatorships are bad, no matter where they happen, no matter what kind of ideology they pursue. Democracy is always better. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Maria Marta Bruno produced this show. Ewan Marshall edits the final script. Many people have written asking me how they can support this show. And the best way is to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic company behind this podcast. Take a look at our website. It's brazilian.report. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance, and society. 
We've also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now for a free trial and enjoy all of our content for 7 days. And it's really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week.